Well, welcome again to Bible Fellowship Church. Glad you're here. Uh, we have uh, entered into our fourth Sunday of Advent, and we are going to be jumping right back into the book of Luke. Uh, so if you've been with us here for the last three Sundays, we've been taking a little bit of time to look at the gospel story of Jesus' birth as Luke portrays it. Uh, the purpose in all of this is just simply to remind us of simple yet profound truths that exist and lead and direct what we do at this time of the year. <clears throat> now, granted, for all of you who are super precise, uh, December 25th is not when Jesus was born. Uh, Jesus was probably born somewhere between March and July, somewhere in that time period. There's arguments all over that. But we gather every year to recognize the birth of the Savior, December 25th. And we do that because this baby changed the trajectory of all of history. It is undeniable that the birth of Jesus has not changed history. Uh, our calendar, whether you want to argue or not, was affected by the birth of Jesus. Before Christ, uh, we can change that to before common era, but it was there because of Jesus. Jesus is the central figure of all of history, and his birth brought massive significance for everyone. And so we've been looking through this story, trying to look and remind ourselves of what actually happened, because in all of the creative artistic license that is out there for Christmas, we can miss the simple story uh, that God spoke, that God came, that God fulfilled what he had promised he would fulfill, and that God provided a way for us to have life. So we opened the book of Luke and we saw a, a, this really cool interchange between this pious couple uh, who's listed as righteous. They were walking blameless before God in verse 6 of chapter 1. Uh, this pious barren couple who uh, were found themselves at a specific time, at a specific point in history where Zechariah had this lot cast for him and he became the person to go in and light up incense for the people as a representative of their prayers to God. And at that moment with that person who was married to his wife Elizabeth who was barren, God came with a message to say, You're, you and your wife are going to have a son. And this son is going to be the one who prepares the way of the Lord. He's going to be the one that points people to the Messiah. He's going to declare the Messiah, and the Messiah is going to be coming. And so this 400 years of silence happens. This man can't really believe his eyes. He's walking blamelessly before the Lord. He's a righteous man. The text is very clear about that. But he's lacking in faith. And he has a point where he has to grow. And so Zechariah becomes this picture of... God in Israel, this picture of silence. He can't speak. He can't say anything. All while the promise of this son who's going to come and prepare the way for the Savior was uh, growing inside his mother's womb. In obscurity, 
away from people for at least five months until Gabriel comes and speaks to Mary and tells Mary about, about Elizabeth. And Mary goes to see Elizabeth. And Mary, this uh, miraculous thing where God, not only is he able to make a barren woman give birth, he's able to make a virgin woman give birth. Because God is the author of life. And we see through this, this story, there's this highlighting of the Holy Spirit in his work for us. The Holy Spirit overshadowing, the Holy Spirit doing all this work, the Holy Spirit producing everything that is needed for these promises to be fulfilled. And the Holy Spirit causing the baby inside Elizabeth to leap for joy and then prophesy to Mary. And then Mary, in turn, being led by the Holy Spirit, prays out blessing to God. And we saw all this last week, how the Holy Spirit does everything for us. And if we have him, we have everything that we need to do what the Lord is asking us to do. And we look at the story and it's easy to look through and read because, I mean, Luke's pretty brief and, well, he's brief as in what we see, uh, but he's pretty extensive considering how expensive parchment was. And he's, he's laying out this story um, and, and you just pass by it and you can miss it. That God is stepping in, God is moving and God himself is making sure what he wants done is done. Despite everything going on in history. And so last week we walked away with this idea, uh, this truth, that, if, that all we have is all we need if all we have is him, is Jesus, is the Spirit, is the Father, the triune God who's come down to tabernacle within us. And so no matter where we're at, no matter what struggle we're going through, we can find hope in the fact that the Lord is walking us through all that. Just like he walked Mary through the events we're about to read today. All the pain, all the, the difficulty of her life, the journey to, uh, to birth the Savior, the, the raising of this Son of God who is now entrusted to a young woman who I am sure is like every other parent. You have a baby in the hospital or your house or a stable. And you walk out of there and this baby comes out and you have no idea what you're doing. I'm, I'm, how am I supposed to care for this? I, I will do my best. And then this baby, savior of the world, Mary raises. Mary and Joseph raise. And then she has to go through the grueling process of knowing what he's come to do of watching him suffer and die. But then the joy of seeing him rise from the dead. And the Spirit is with her through all of that, just like he's with us through all of that. And so we ended our, our uh, discussion last week on that truth. 
All we have is all we need if all we have is him. And so we're going to pick up now, and because this is the last Sunday of Advent, and I'm going to try to do again, go over a large portion of scripture um, like I did last week. But before we get to the birth story, I want to just make a quick comment and notice on what is happening with Zechariah before we come into the birth. Because Zechariah in the birth of John is doing what John has promised to do, preparing the way for the Savior. And not only in in the book of Luke, as, as John preaches and proclaims repentance, in the birth of John, he prepares the way for the Savior. So if you have your Bibles, we're in Luke chapter 1, um, and we're at verse 57. It says, Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great, great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, none of your relatives is called by this name. What are you doing, crazy woman? Uh, That's Andrew's translation. Um, (laughs) And they made signs to his father inquiring what he would want him to be called, right? Because Zechariah could not speak. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. Do not write, his name will be John. I would like to call him John. No, his name is John. And they all wondered. Then look what happens, verse 64. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was loosened and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about throughout the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then shall this child be? For the hand of the Lord is with them. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. To show mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear. And holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord, prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance in Israel. So real quick, what's going on there, right? So Zechariah, mute, until the point where he is asked a question, a question to make a statement in obedience of faith of what was told to him before, right? And he says that, I pointed out, he says his name is John. 
Because that's what Gabriel said. His name shall be John. And so Zechariah, learning from the sign that was given to him, steps out in obedience and faith, and then the Lord restores his mouth. And when the Lord restores his speech, praise comes out. Guided by the Holy Spirit, but praise comes out. Praise, not starting with praise for his son, but praise because the the one who is to come is coming. The Messiah is coming. Now, what does that tell us? One, you're never too old to learn and grow in your faith. You are never too old to need to learn and grow in your faith. This man is listed as a righteous man, blameless before the Lord. But he missed it. And I don't know what age he was, but he was up there. And he missed it. And the Lord stepped in in his mercy and worked in Zechariah exactly what Zechariah needed to shift his perspective from one that was doubting the goodness and faithfulness of God to one that was singing his praises for the work that he was going to do. So there's hope for all you gray-haired people out there. There's hope for everyone out there. Because this is the pathway of life as a Christian. We're not born again in knowing all the right things to do and doing all the right things. Because it's not about us. We're born again to trust and rely on Jesus. So the life of Jesus, by dependence on him, is made manifest in us. It's about him. It's about walking in him. And when I step out of line, which I will do, I can admit it. I missed it. I'm sorry, Lord. Have your way with me. Like Mary said, whatever yours is to do, I am your servant. I will do it. And so Zechariah speaks and he starts saying these amazing things. God's visited and redeemed his people. He's raised up a horn of salvation out of the house of David, his servant. Because he knows that's where the Messiah is coming. He's coming from the Davidic line. He's coming from the king. There's this prophecy that God gave to David of a son who would come out of him, who would have a reign that would never end. He would bring peace to the world. And that one is coming on his way. And my son, Zechariah is saying, is preparing the way for him. You will be a prophet of the Most High. You will proclaim salvation to God's people in the forgiveness of their sins. You're going to be great. You're going to do great things, but you will not be as good as this Messiah is coming. Because you'll proclaim salvation. He will bring it. You'll talk about it. He will do it. And he's coming. And all this comes up and, and ties and Luke's putting this all together to focus our attention on the true Savior of the world that is coming. And so he has John just a brief statement about him going off into the wilderness, being prepared to call out the way to the Lord. And he shifts our focus and attention to chapter 2. He says this, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world would be registered. And this was the first registration when um, Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, 
to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with the child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in swaddling cloths and lied him in a, laid him in a manger because there was no place for him in the inn. That's the birth story. Wait. Luke is preparing for this amazing thing that happens. One paragraph later, it's happened. The Savior of the world in this time place, in this period, under these circumstances, comes from this woman. And if you're not reading carefully, you're going to miss what Luke's doing here. But he starts out saying, during the time of Caesar Augustus, all of you astute students of history, which you all, you all, I know all of you know everything about Caesar Augustus, would know exactly what he's, what he's saying. Right? Augustus, guy's name is Octavian, uh, grandnephew of Julius Caesar. Julius Caesar, you know that guy? Stabbed in the back by some friends of his. Um, and he dies. And the leadership of the empire after Julius Caesar was passed on to three people. Octavian, Mark Anthony, and I keep on forgetting how to pronounce this other guy's name. Um, Lepidius, I think. Or, uh, I wrote it down and then I lost where I wrote it down. Lepidus, there we go, Lepidus. And those three, those three guys are, are trying to rule this nation. It's kind of in chaos. The leader was just murdered. Lepidus falls from power, and then there's a power struggle between Octavian and Mark Anthony, right? Mark Anthony and Cleopatra, um, she's down in Egypt, and there's this fight. Octavian wins out, and then Octavian is supported by the Senate. And then they change his name to Augustus, Caesar Augustus. And then his reign is known for peace. He's the Caesar of peace. He's really good in administration. He knew how to organize things and order stuff. Partly why he was asking for a census. We got to know everyone who's in the empire. We got to know where they're at. We got to know what's going on. We got to create order here, or it's just going to continue to be chaotic. And so this reigning Caesar, ruler, emperor of peace, who's known for his peace, Luke puts here in the beginning to show the true king of peace is coming. In the reign of peace, the true peace is coming. Tying right back to what he said in the very end of the prophecy of Zechariah, he will guide our feet in the way of peace. And now, why Joseph had to go to Bethlehem, there's a lot of debate about that, but mostly it's probably because it was the easiest way to get the Jewish people to sign up for taxes. So Joseph is going from Nazareth, right? He's from Nazareth, but Joseph is obeying the government at the time, and he's following what he's supposed to do, and him and Mary go down to Bethlehem which is about 90 miles from Nazareth. And again, they're, they're probably not sitting on a donkey like we watch in most of these shows. They're probably walking. Uh, having a beast of burden is a, a someone for, something for wealthy people. 
And they make this journey in this trip, which God protects them in. in, Right? You're out in the open, in the wilderness, a wife who's very pregnant. Um, I don't know if you know this, but if you're trying to get this baby to come out, usually you usually have the woman walk a lot. It kind of moves things along. And Mary and Joseph go down too, and they make it to Bethlehem, to the place where God had prophesied where the Savior would come. Right? Micah 5, 1 through 2. The ruler to be born in Bethlehem. He says, you muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid um, on, uh, against us. With a rod they strike and judge the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming from forth, coming forth is from old, of old, from ancient of days. It's this prophecy that you read in Matthew of the wise men who are told, that's where the king's supposed to be born. And God, through his sovereign work, takes this current political situation. No matter if you're upset about it or not, I'm sure there were a lot of Jewish people who were not happy about having to go get registered. I mean, I don't think I would be very happy if I had to go from my house to my hometown or my lineage town 90 miles away and walk there so that I can sign up, so that I can pay taxes. I don't know, that doesn't sound like a whole lot of fun. And God's taking this time period and he's working through Rome. Through the decisions of Rome who had no idea about who God was. I can guarantee Augustus is not thinking, oh man, I got I to put a, a decree out there so we can get the Savior over to Bethlehem so he can be born. No, we just got to get, we got to make sure we get over with people and we got to make sure we're getting our money. As long as those things are happening, we don't have to kill anyone deal? Right? And God's working through sovereignly through whatever's going on in the world to make sure that his son is born at the time that he needs to be born where he needs to be born. And they go to the town of Bethlehem. And while they're there, it says, like verse six, really short. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Now the time came on the way not like the movies that we've watched where Mary's rushing and Joseph's rushing and they're coming in and they're running down the whole, the, the, the town road, knocking on every door. Quick, 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 we got to find somewhere to go get this baby. No, it just says the time came while they, while they were there. The time came. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Or depending on trust, your translation, the guest house. A lot of this stuff just gets a lot of creative license gets taken for the birth story. The Joseph and Mary running around, knocking to all these people. There's no mention of innkeepers saying, no, there's no room here. There's no room here. There's no room here. There's no mention of rejection, 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 rejection. Just to mention there's, there's no room in the guest house, which probably was a, a courtesy to Mary and Joseph, right? That word guest house there is most likely talking about a place where travelers come and lodge. And if you have a bunch of travelers lodging somewhere, 
I don't know about you, but I'm not really happy about having my baby with a bunch of people. Typically, that's something that I would like to have some privacy, where some noise can be made. And in houses where most of these places, they had, you built a house because they didn't have heat. Uh, we didn't have furnaces. You know, probably had a fireplace at some point. But you built your house next to your property. You built your house next to your livestock. So you could keep your livestock safe in the winter and your livestock who produce heat could heat up the house. Uh, we, we know that livestock produce heat, and I uh, know I'm going to make a bad joke. So, um, so where he was born clearly was a place where livestock were kept, but most likely either connected to a house or in a cave that was connected to a house or somewhere. And all this fantasy story about this rush to get to where he's going, it's, it's not what's happening. God is sovereignly moving to put his son exactly where God wants his son to be born. And he wants his son to be born in a stable. The king of glory who reigns over everything in a place where animals are kept. And he's laid into a manger where animals eat. And then immediately after this, we see this Counts of these angels over these shepherds showing up. He said, in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over the flock by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Then the angel said to them, fear, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this statement has massive implications. This is the only time in all of Scripture where Jesus is referred to as both Savior, Christ, and Lord. Unto you is born a Savior, a Rescuer, a Deliverer, who is Christ the anointed one, the Messiah, the one who's prophesied to come, who is Lord, King, ruler of all. And he's born for you, shepherds. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby slapped, wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Right, and the story continues. The shepherds go, they marvel, they see, and all of these amazing things are happening. And there's quite a few, there's a quite a few important things the Lord is throwing into Scripture right here that are just kind of running along lines, the same lines with themselves. Right, God is announcing the birth of his son in a way that is much greater than the announcement of John. The Holy Spirit comes upon John's father, and he proclaims the announcement of his, of his son's birth. The announcement of God's son, he opens up heaven, and the glory of heaven comes out, and they shine, and they're proclaiming, and they're praising God. There's praise, adoration, wonderful things happening in heaven, and peace is here on the earth. It's moving. He comes to shepherds who are out in their fields, either feeding them or they're out there waiting for their own babies, the 
I don't remember the, I know calving is what you say for cows. I don't know the what word for having sheep. Um, but lambing, there we go, lambing. And they're out in the fields. And the lamb of God who takes away the sin from the world is born in a stable. Go, shepherds, go see the lamb of God that's born. Not only that, like Bethlehem is this place where the lambs who were sacrificed for the sins of the people were raised and born and raised. It's seven miles from Jerusalem. It's a place where the shepherds keep the perfect uh, spotless lamb for the sacrifice of the people. And the perfect spotless lamb is born in that town. And not only that, Bethlehem, Bethlehem, means house of bread. House of bread. And Jesus is placed in a feeding trough in the house of bread. Because he's the true manna who's come down from heaven, from God. He's the bread of life. We celebrated a few weeks ago the body broken open for us. He's there to feed. And he comes in the lowliest of place, in a dirty place. And his proclamation of his birth, the most important thing that happened to date in history, which the most important thing that happened is that he died and rose again. But the most important thing that happened to date in history, which secured the dying and rising again, happened there and it got proclaimed to shepherds. Humble people. Humble profession. Right? Herod didn't even know about it. Pals didn't know about it. The religious leaders at the time didn't know about it. Shepherds. Humble people. And to a humble woman, from humble means, in a humble place, God births the most important gift that has ever been given to mankind. The most beautiful being anywhere. The most powerful one. The one who literally holds together the atoms of the benches that you guys are sitting in. Amen. And he's vulnerable He's wrapped up, and he's in a feeding trough. This amazing Savior that God himself protected throughout all the adversity. He kept the pregnancy. He kept Mary as they go down to Bethlehem. He provided a place for him to be born. And birth is not a given there's some serious complications that can happen with births, especially a firstborn. And he's born, and he's healthy, and he's viable, and he's alive. And Mary's okay. And Joseph's probably in a ball in the corner. <laughs> but God is for overseeing all of this and protecting exactly what he wants done for what he's prophesied and what he's promised to make sure the one whom he foretold 
immediately after the fall. The seed of the woman who had crushed the head of the serpent is here. It's come. God protects what he promises. He brings it to fulfillment. And what he's promised is salvation to all through the forgiveness of sins. He's promised peace through the blood of his son. And now, just as ever, we need that peace. This world is as chaotic and corrupted as it's always been. You can't get any worse than totally depraved. But there is a God who loves us, who sees us, who knows us, who knows the brokenness of our life, the difficulty that we're walking through, the pain that we endure, and he's provided peace with him. He's provided comfort in his spirit. And he has provided rescue in the return. And we look at this and it's easy to miss. It's just easy to miss it. That the reality of the first coming of Jesus completely makes certain the reality of his second coming. And that the Savior who came through all of the circumstances that were going on to the place where he wanted to come, at the time he wanted to come, for the people he wanted to come, he's going to come again. And there's nothing in our government, the world government, whatever's going on that's going to stop that. In fact, the hope is that the Lord uses the ungodly actions of governing bodies to bring about his godly work of bringing his son. So that his people can stand in peace, not only with God, but peace with what's going on. I have a rescuer. I have a rescuer. And he's coming. I have a rescuer and he is king. He's a king of peace. And he knows me, unlike anyone else. And he knows how broken I am. But he's come still. And this promise of a king, he's coming again. This Savior, born in a manger, born in a dirty place, was born so that he could come and dwell in broken, dirty people. That he could go to this place of animals and bring peace. So with with all this, we're heading into final week here, right before Christmas. 
A lot of things going on. A lot of good memories, a lot of bad memories. A lot of joy, a lot of sorrow. Jesus has come for you. Jesus is coming for you. And the same one who came in a humble place is coming again to rescue you. And if you've never experienced his saving work, his forgiveness, he's here standing, waiting, knocking, ready to be born in you. I don't know what else we do as an action point other than just to rest wholly on the Savior who's rescued. We ask ourselves questions like, have I made room for the Savior in my heart? Have I welcomed him in in to my mess? If not, it's simple. Jesus, I need you. I believe that you are the son of God, that you did live the life that I could not live, that you died the death that I deserve, and that you rose again from the dead. Please come dwell in me like you did in that manger. And he rescues and saves you. And even if you have done that, are you still welcoming him in to your life? Are you still keeping the door open for him to have his way, to tabernacle, to dwell with you? Are you reminding yourself of the son of God who knows every single aspect of your life? Yes, what you did 25 years ago. He knows. Even though you accepted him as a five-year-old kid, came up and sang in choirs like this, he knows exactly what you did, and he paid for it. He's not casting you off. He's not expecting you to be better than you are. He just expects you to rest in his full provision of forgiveness, of sins. So, we're going to close today. We're going to sing a song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. It's probably one of my favorite Christmas carols. It's this declaration of need. O come, O come, God with us. Ransom captive Israel. And as you sing it, you can sing it thinking, okay, well, why don't you come and rescue Israel? Or you can sing, Lord, come and rescue me. I'm captive to the lusts, the addictions, Facebook or Instagram, whatever it is. I'm captive and I need rescue. Ransom me. Thank you that you've ransomed me. Come again, please, Lord Jesus.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your son. Lord, we thank you for uh, this season. This season where we set aside time to remember the miracle of your birth. We remind ourselves again of the humble place where you were born. That means that anyone and everyone has opportunity to welcome you into their life. Lord, we pray that you would remind us again that you are coming again. That you would instill your hope and your peace into our hearts this day and this week and moving forward into next year that we would be a people who walk in the peace that you provide. And that in doing so, that you would, Lord, you would spread your name and your renown and your glory to this earth. And Lord, that you would continue to work in us to lead others to your kingdom for your glory and their good. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.